Mustard. Known for being a condiment. Famous for being a yellow condiment, mostly. Nobody thinks much about it, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why mustard is secretly incredibly fascinating. Hey there, folks. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone. Two amazing guests join me this week. They are hilarious podcasters and writers and people. Dan Hopper is a longtime buddy of mine. He's a managing editor at Ranker. He's written for The New Yorker and for The Washington Post and many more fine publications, Me and Dan Hopper go way back to collegehumor.com, and he's just one of my favorite people in comedy, writing the internet, everything. I'm also joined by David Roth. You may know that name as a co-owner and writer at defector.com. He's also co-host, along with Drew McGarry, of The Distraction. Defector is a wonderful and amazing website, especially if you like sports, especially if you like an actually interesting take on sports, and especially if you like a website that knows that the idea of just sticking to sports is a waste of time. It's about the broader context. It's about everything that that means. Dave is also low-key one of the best writers in the world about Donald Trump and specifically what Trumpism means and what it is uh, truly about. As I say that, every fan of David Roth is just nodding along, like, yes, of course. For the rest of you, there are links in the episode links at sifpod.fun. Dan and Dave are both brilliant and really, really funny, and I'm glad they've made time to talk about mustard. Also, I've gathered all of our zip codes, and I've used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Catawba, Eno, and Shikori peoples. To acknowledge Dan recorded this on the traditional land of the Gabrielino or Tongva and Keech and Chumash peoples, acknowledge Dave recorded this on the traditional land of the Lenape people, and acknowledge that in all of our locations, Native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode, and today's episode is about mustard, a simple yet mighty condiment that the world is quietly obsessed with. So, please sit back or toss off a carefree laugh as you squirt mustard onto your date accidentally in a romantic comedy, because that means you two are going somewhere. And either way, here's this episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with Dan Hopper and David Roth. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. I, I thought of both of you specifically for mustard because there's going to be some sports stuff with this. But then with uh, with every episode, I uh, start out by asking the guests, what is your relationship to this topic? What's your opinion of it? I feel like with condiments, we all kind of have it in our bones uh, somewhat literally. Like they're just around us all the time. But but Dave or Dan, what's your relationship to mustard? I can go first <laughs> if you want. Uh, all right. The So my relationship <laughs> with mustard is, I would say, strong. Uh, it's a lifelong one. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> It's, Are you starting a state of the yeah, union? Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm going to introduce some troops in a moment uh, that will attest to how well my relationship with mustard is going. I have uh, eaten it my whole life, and as somebody that's from a family that's like culturally Jewish and not especially religiously Jewish, like mustard is 
you know, as much a part of like our family sacraments as like, you know, whatever lighting candles on Shabbos would be if we were better about our shit. Like it's just something to be snobby about and weird about and persnickety about. Um, that said, like, I, I, I can't get mad at like cheesy yellow mustards or like the things that I was like sort of told, like, we don't do that when, you know, like you, it's Kosciusko, it's, it's maybe Golden's, but like French's is for Gentiles. That said, French's is fine. I'm not, you know, like I've grown to love Dijon, even the one with seeds in it. Like I, it's just, like I said, it's, it's a condiment that means something to me. Oh, that's a, that's a real serious spiritual connection. I was just going to be like, I like mustard. I mean, that is what I could have said. Should have gone first. For whatever reason, I decided, I decided to start off with something like really stentorian. I don't know how long four score and seven years is. I don't know why I would start my mustard answer with that. I just, I'm like clearly grasping to one up, Dave. I'm like. I uh, lost an uncle uh, to mustard, <laughs> and it's just been very personal to me ever since. And uh, it's like, what happened? I'm like, let's not get into that. Vat of mustard. Don't ask me about it. Vat of mustard. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> That's like a, one of those auto-generated shirts that I keep getting served on Facebook. It's just like, I'm a Capricorn who loves yeah, mustard. so good. Went to Penn State University. <laughs> Don't ask me about it. I've seen those t-shirts at thrift stores, and it's always tempting to buy them, even though they're traditionally like extremely large, and all of the details on them don't apply to me. <laughs> but they're the best. They're just like, yeah, I'm a Capricorn that listens to James Brown and has diabetes. And I'm like, well, I guess I sh- <laughs> should get that, right? Like, because someone... And work at self-employed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would have been all over that in my from like t- my twenty to twenty five period. I would have worn that shirt for sure. Yeah, the bigger the logo, the better. But now, uh, oh yeah, now I've I've outgrown that. Sorry. Uh, but speaking <laughs> of growing up, hey, I feel like I feel like mustard is kind of the the grown up ketchup, right? Oh. When you're a kid, you put ketchup on everything. I put on fries and burgers, but it's also like you dip your chicken fingers in it and like do all this gross kid stuff that like once you hit a certain age, it's like putting ketchup on everything doesn't appeal to me. Yeah. And like all of a sudden mustard, which is like kind of bitter and I don't know. Yeah. Vinegary and strange. Yeah. It's not, not really that sweet. Yeah. It it's just feels like a grown up condiment that like as a kid, I didn't really like that much and put ketchup on everything. And then as an adult, you like get into mustard and intense mustards and really, you know, bitter mustards, different kind. Like I, I don't know. I love, I, I love it. I found out recently that my mom does not like mustard. She brought oh. it up in conversation, and I was I was shocked because this is ours was like a mustard household. And then I was sort of, you know, like I processed it in the moment, and then I actually did have a conversation with my wife about it a day later. Where I was like, "Do you hear what my mom said she didn't like mustard?" And she was like, "Yeah, are you thinking about that?" And I was like, "No, <laughs> but <laughs> what did she put on her hot dogs?" And my wife. Very, like, rightfully asked. She was like, when do you think your mom last had a hot dog? And I don't know the answer to that question, but my guess is not recently. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I relate to that thing as a kid of putting ketchup on everything. And then in the Chicago region, there's a real stigma against ketchup on hot dogs. And I don't remember when it flipped, but at some point it went from, yeah, sure, Alex, you're very little, so put ketchup on everything, straight to don't put it on hot dogs. Like it was, there's some, at some point the switch flips and it's like, you're a man now. Like you have to put mustard on hot dogs. That's how it works. (laughs) Mm. I was going to ask, like, how was that communicated to you? Were they like, don't f*** 
this up for us. Like we're here at the White Sox game and everybody's looking at us. Like don't, <laughs> don't embarrass your dad. <laughs> well, I uh, and thank you, White Sox. Uh, yeah, because I there I would eat bratwurst aggressively, and that was like my dad's side. It's all German Catholics, and mm-hmm. mustard is associated with like all of German foods all the time, including bratwurst. Yeah. So I think I like transitioned that way. Like I was like, well, bratwurst, it's mustard, and then from there I learned. Oh, I've been doing it the wrong way this whole time with hot dogs. It's a certain amount of sense. I I feel like I do ketchup and mustard on hot dogs, and I don't know if that's wrong or what. I don't think that that's, I think that's the acceptable way to do it. Like I put all the things you said that you put ketchup on and dip ketchup in, like I also do that. Hot dogs for whatever reason are the exception to me. But again, like I eat three hot dogs a year. Like it's like pitch to how many Mets games I go to. I thought you were going to say a day. <laughs> That's uh, in, we're watching Detroiters right now, which is delightful. And one of the like running gags through that show is that Tim Robinson only eats hot dogs seemingly and eats dozens of them a day. <laughs> Just a very funny little thing to have like bouncing around the bottom of uh, all these different episodes. Yeah, it's a, it's a very unsatisfying thing. Like I, I like them, but I couldn't eat them as like nourishment. It's just no. like a thing you have it up baseball game that doesn't count towards a meal you never feel good about it Mm. it's not something you look forward to necessarily and it's not like when you're done with it you're like well that was like mission accomplished (laughs) like it is yeah you just (laughs) ate a hot dog like congrats it's it's like a it's like chips if they were like meat yeah you know it's like eating a hot dog is like eating a whole bunch of doritos or something like that it doesn't fit you're not like oh i've eaten a meal right just like yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think if i remember right i was at a dodger game and i was with somebody and I was like, well, it's your first one. We should get Dodger dogs. And then they saw the Dodger dogs and they were they basically said, could we get something good? Like instead of yeah. the, <laughs> instead of this weird log they're, hot dog. I was like, I guess they're so. awful, yeah. right? Dodger dogs are actually awful, right? Yeah. They're not like overrated. They're like just bad. Well, I've, I yeah. think I've only had two ever, also, but I the, hated it. The thing with them that I remember being scandalized by when I first saw them is like their big value add is that the hot dog is bigger than the bun. Which is like, you're not doing me a favor there. That means that I'm getting like two bites of just like raw dog. Like just like the actual (laughs) raw dog in it. Like the little tubey nubbin from both ends of it. That like I get that with nothing to like, you know, conceal it or or in any way sort of uh, mitigate the, the experience of it. I don't. I don't. Yeah, they like consider that value. They're like low quality. They're like these Farmer John's like low quality hot dogs. It doesn't match the bun, and then they're not—they're not even like grilled or charcoal. They're like on either a flat top or boiled or something. Yeah. Like they have no taste. They. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. Take that, Farmer Sorry, John LA. brand. Yeah. 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 That's losing sponsors left and right. Somebody from <laughs> National oh, no. Sausage Council. They were like, "We heard your ketchup podcast and listened to your mustard one with great interest." However. <laughs> Alex has to grind through a Farmer John's like subscription box, like ad read right now. It's like, oh man, it has everything you want in a meal box: the bun, the hot dog, the dog that's bigger than the bun. <laughs> you, you open it, there's just ketchup and mustard smeared all over the inside of the box. It's like. <laughs> that way it's, it's easier like weeping 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 <laughs> like it's just like a, a week's worth of hot dogs in a box <laughs> it's like blue apron for children it's not really you shouldn't be allowed to sell that i don't think <laughs> but then also like a yogurt garlic sauce and like like the one thing you assemble <laughs> <laughs> 
thing. We're going to need you to chop a shallot before you're able to enjoy this hot dog. <laughs> Finally. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, so let's get into our first segment, I think, from there. On every episode, our first fascinating thing about the topic is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics. And that's in a segment called... Take my hand, bum 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 bum, off to stats and numbers land. Do 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 do. That sounded great, man. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that was uh, submitted by at Chris underscore Murphy ninety one, and we're gonna have a new name for this segment every week. Submitted by listeners like you, make them as silly and wacky as possible. Submit to at SIFpod on Twitter or to SIFpod at gmail dot com. It wasn't the Connecticut uh, rep. Chris Murphy, was it, sending it in? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Taking a break from, like, fighting the good fight. I have a new idea about a song you could sing about mustard, man. Oh, I have a vote. Excuse me. <laughs> do you have to pay royalties for singing that? I hope that costs, like, 50 grand to do. <laughs> we have to replace it with a sound-alike on the DVD best of of this. <laughs> do you have SIF listener James Hetfield listening to it and being like, ooh, when he hears you singing it and get mad? <laughs> <laughs> I was a fan of the podcast before this. Yeah. He yells when he talks, of course. Hopefully he's just mad he didn't think of it, right? Like he should have been the one, but you know. Yeah. Didn't, didn't jump yeah, to mind. He had so. a lot of stuff going on. If you watch uh, some kind of monster, you'll see that he's a complicated <laughs> man. There's <laughs> I finally have settled my thing with Napster. Now to sit down and kick back with a podcast that will not <laughs> illegally use my music. Oh! <laughs> Ooh! I love that. Well, uh, we got a few numbers here, and they, uh, I think, are fascinating about mustard. The first one is more than 250,000 tons. So uh, more than a quarter million tons. That is the amount of mustard seed that is traded and consumed every year around the world. Uh, and Smithsonian says mustard is the world's most heavily traded spice wow. of all spices. I would not have cool. expected that. Sounds like a lot. I don't know what to weigh it against, but I'm just like, yeah, that's. <laughs> I don't have a frame of reference for how much mustard <laughs> I thought was traded, but that's a ton. It is objectively a very large number. Well, the, the next number here is one or two millimeters uh, and that's the approximate diameter of a mustard seed. So they're very, very, very small. And then from one of those seeds, you get a plant that grows to three to five feet tall, sometimes taller. Cool. I, I never really think about mustards as like part of a spice trade either. I feel like that adds a nice little like historical slash romantic element to the whole thing. Yeah. So it's like the idea of buying mustard is so banal and like this little jar on a shelf or something. But it's like, oh, the spice trade's still going on. I forgot about that. That's cool. <laughs> Actually, yeah. it kind of is. that like Also, the plant itself, like, I mean, I can't imagine there's a lot of mustard greens eaten relative to mustard itself. But I've eaten a lot of mustard greens. They're pretty good. Oh, yeah. Like as a salad I green, like a salad item. Yeah. Or, well, you yeah, you'd cook them usually. Um, but you, you see them in Indian food, and uh, like I've made stews with them and stuff. They're very sharp, strongly flavored, but um, that won't surprise you if you've had mustard, the condiment, before. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the uh, next number here, as part of just where it comes from, number is four, because that is the number of basic ingredients of a mustard. Uh, you have to have mustard seeds, which get ground up, and then you have water, and then you have vinegar, and then some kind of spices or flavoring. Uh, and then there's also Dijon mustard, which tends to swipe in uh, white wine for vinegar. 
but it's usually those four things. It's basically just seeds, vinegar, water, and however you want to spice it. There's no vinegar in Dijon mustard? There might be some, but they, they lean on white wine as the main uh, wow. replacement or something called verjuice, which is made of green grapes. Oh, yeah. yeah, I've had that. It's like It's like wine that isn't allowed to turn into wine. Yeah. So it's whatever brings that quality of vinegar to the uh, the mustard. Yeah. Is like the store-bought version, do they use like a some cheaper, is it that? Or is it like some cheaper alternative to white wine or something? Because like, or are they putting, are they pouring white wine into like Grey Poupon and stuff? Probably, Probably not, right? Grey Poupon would use a proper wine. But yeah, like whatever, uh, Crasdale brand Dijon, maybe not so much. <laughs> Another sponsor lost. Just yep. manually <laughs> opening individual, like buying and uncorking individual bottles of wine and pouring them into each thing of mustard and stirring it. It's like so expensive and inefficient. It's a union job, though. Like you can't, you can't fire them. Yeah, you won't have mustard without it. Just like driving laps to Trader Joe's to get more wine for your little factory. Like, oh god, get another trunk full. Oh man. <laughs> oh. Making little jokes with the people being like, yeah, I really love white wine. (laughs) (laughs) That leads well actually into another number here, which is 90%. Because 90% is the approximate amount of France's mustard seeds that are imported from Canada. Uh, The top mustard seed growing countries in the world are Canada and Nepal. They each grow more than a quarter of all the mustard seeds in the world. Uh, and then there was a legal case that determined that Dijon mustard is just a recipe, so you don't actually have to make it like in the region of Dijon or any geographical stuff. And then I, I think from there, they just moved a lot of production out of France. Yeah, It never occurred to me that it could be a DOC thing, but that makes sense, actually, that it would be because it has the name and the French are... How did Nepal wind up alongside Canada in this? Again, I'm yeah, asking you yeah. questions that you don't know the answer to, and I'm sorry about no, that. Okay. <laughs> I just, if you ask me to name agricultural giants, like I might get to Canada. It would be a while before I got to Nepal, I think. And I, I think mustard can just grow a lot of places, and I guess they grow most of the Canadian mustard in Western Canada, where it's kind of drier and more of a plains thing. Uh, so I guess it doesn't need a lot of water, because it can also grow in like Nepal in the mountains. Yeah. Uh, but it grows pr- in most places in the world. Yeah, it's, it's a tough plant. I think it would be great if we started growing more mustard here. Take some pride in our... We used to make things in this country. <laughs> <laughs> Just, Dave, giving speeches in front of all these like guys in hard hats who yeah. are like mustard seed <laughs> harvesters. Come on, man. Yeah. You know, I grew up... Mustard Johnny, I grew up with him. I saw him down at the... There was a community pool. Like one of those, like, you know, sort of a... <laughs> I can't do Biden for too long. You get it. Oh, God, where's this going, yeah. Dave? <laughs> it's strange. It's just... <laughs> Or it's that it's that old man thing. Like every time I pick up a bottle of mustard, there's a sticker on the bottom, "Made in Nepal." And you're like mad about it. You're yeah. like, <laughs> like, why? It's okay. And I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the Nepalese getting over on us. Well, and one uh, one last number here. It is the year 4,800 BC, uh, approximately. Uh, that's the approximate date of the oldest evidence of humans cooking mustard seeds. They found carbonized seeds in Chinese pottery. Uh, so it's very ancient. We've been doing it forever. Did they, what'd they do with it? Just like incorporate it into a meal? It wasn't like used for a sauce or something, right? Yeah, it's probably some kind of spicing an item. It, it doesn't seem like they made like the exact kind of mustard that we think of. Uh, but yeah, people have been cooking with the plant forever, uh, uh, mainly in Asia, Africa, Europe, and then it was brought to the Americas. 
I feel like I feel like as a as a huge dumbass whenever I hear anything BC, I hear like <laughs> yeah. forty eight hundred BC. I like it. I immediately picture like cavemen, and then you're like, no, there's like civilizations. Then, <laughs> it's like, well, they were they were like you. They're just their teeth are way worse. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's like forty eight hundred BC, and I immediately picture like two cavemen with like pounding one on a rock and it's like no that's not (laughs) it's not that long ago (laughs) it is weird though i was a history major in college and i remember the people that were ancient historians like i I didn't think less of them because like they were everybody you know in my thesis sort of study group was like a much better student than me but there was a part of me where like they were talking about stuff and i was like well you don't know anything about that because that was like (laughs) that's all gone like you're you're guessing about what was there and like you're writing, but whereas, like, I have to read a book about a thing that happened, like, while my teacher was alive, and then I have to write about that. So they'll know if I'm wrong, but for you, maybe <laughs> less so, which I think was wrong. I still, like, 30% feel that way, right? Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I was a history major, too, and I had an American history class where the professor was talking about Stokely Carmichael. And then at one point he was like, and when I talked to Stokely in the day, he said that he added, added, and I was like, oh, I'd, be- I'd better learn him pretty good because this guy yeah. met him. So <laughs> I'd better <laughs> be on top of I that. Start putting quotes in front of like Vince Lombardi quotes in his mouth and being like, as Stokely Carmichael famously said, uh, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. <laughs> it was in your aim profile and the professor corrected it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know why you're you de- I don't know why you're instant messaging your pr- your professor, but I don't know. In this situation, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, he's a person. What? He's a person. Yeah, you just hang <laughs> hang out with the professor, and it's like some lame I don't know some lame yeah. study group, and then you go form that MIT casino team, like with the <laughs> yeah, or whatever whatever the history version of that is. It's just like. The professor is just gathering all the ace history students together to pull off some museum heist or something. I don't know. It's an utterly <laughs> unsaleable version of Ocean's Eleven where, like, you break into a library, but you only are going there to, like, read a book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this one's reference only. And then you take it out of the building somehow yeah. with a lot of <laughs> elaborate schemes. Alex doing the like ac- the like acrobat out of the box, <laughs> so he doesn't like, so he doesn't like d- damage the page of a rare book. <laughs> like those are Terry Benedict's antiquities. <laughs> Just warning you. That's a Fam- really solid Elliot Gould imitation Thank right you. there. <laughs> I thought it was. I thought he had joined the call. <laughs> It's going to take at least 11 of you. (laughs) That's just a relative of mine. I was going to (laughs) say. To show the rest of the way, we have three big takeaways about mustard. We'll get into them. Uh, Starting with takeaway number one. Mustard gets its flavor from 90 million years of warfare against caterpillars. And that's because, like, the mustard plant and its development and evolution, it's been a battle to prevent caterpillars from eating it. And the chemistry that comes from that is how we get the flavor. I think the last word in that sentence felt like it was added Mad Lib style, right? It was, like, the most random <laughs> noun yeah. possible. I didn't know where that was going, and I wasn't expecting caterpillar to be yeah. the word. <laughs> well, it does make a certain amount of sense. The idea of, like, it anything does. else, like, the idea of, like, a, any war that long... It's like it pretty much has to be against a, a creature. Yeah. That makes some sense in that, like, 
the flavor of it being so like acrid like of the leaf itself which being like really super like what's the i don't i guess like acrid is the the word that i would want to use like have you ever had like a mustard green like raw i don't think so no I like a bite of it it's not pleasant it's like really uh like in the way that eating like the the wrong type of mint can be like where it's just kind of like a flavor uh that is oppressive but like uh, and out of proportion yeah. to the amount of it that you're eating but i always associate that with things that have like evolved to not be eaten you can still eat them though because you're a person and it, yeah and it can't run it's just a plant you've that's why you've evolved past caterpillars <laughs> you're like we're cooking this mother. yeah seriously because I'm faster, and I know how to prepare it. <laughs> See a caterpillar try to braise that shit. Good luck. Good luck, ass. I was going to say asshole, but I remember it's a... Bra- you can't use yeah, the words. I, I just also swore. I just get real worked up about caterpillars. Um, I know. I hate those guys. We'll do a blue show at 1230 tonight yeah. where we really yeah. unload on the caterpillars. <laughs> in the back room of the casino. Of yep. Terry Benedict's casino. <laughs> Callback. Yeah. There he is. <laughs> I love it. We have two main sources for this uh, this battle between mustard and caterpillars. Uh, one is a Smithsonian article. It's called Mustard is a Product of Evolutionary Warfare Between Plants and Caterpillars by Helen Thompson. And the other is a book called Mustard, a Global History by Demet Gouzet. There's, I love books like that. I've never read them, but there's so many of them. And I love that there's an industry there where like, when in doubt, you can pitch a book that's just like flounder, like American history through a fish. And they're like, all right, well, <laughs> yes, that's a yes. <laughs> Write that book. So I own the book because I was in a great bookstore. It's called Malaprops Books in Asheville, North Carolina. And it partly jumped off the shelf to me because it is mustard colored. Right? Like the power of mustard lured me in again. Nice. Like it's just this yellow book. I'm like, what? Who does that? And then then here we are. So this is is chemistry stuff here. And it springs from, it turns out mustard seed is not spicy until it is crushed. Uh, And when it is crushed, there are, there's a chemical called glucosinolates and an enzyme called myrosinase. And you don't really need to know what those are. But the point is when it's crushed, those two things mix. And then you get the... Uh, like Dave was saying, acrid or like pungent, smelly kind of mustardy strength uh, when those two things mix. Awesome. Yeah. And so then from there, according to Smithsonian, quote, we can thank caterpillars for the pungency of our mustards because the mustard plant defends itself against insects by producing glucosinolates. And then insects like caterpillars or cabbage butterflies evolved resistance to those over millions of years. And so then since the plant was still getting eaten, the mustard plant developed more and stronger chemicals. And then the caterpillars got stronger. And it's just a back and forth battle that uh, scientists have dated to about 90 million years of evolution. Uh, so that's how mustards got strong and interesting. Who's on top right now? Oh, uh, I don't not, know. Not that's the caterpillars, you got to assume. <laughs> <laughs> they got her, they're regrouping right now. Yeah. Yeah. Probably getting back together and being like, well, look, we obviously we've been getting our asses kicked the last 11 million years. <laughs> and I'm sick of it. <laughs> 2048, though, they're going to be eating the crap out of some <laughs> mustard plants. Yep. And they're just like, oh, God. Caterpillars are back. <laughs> they have like weird red mouths. They can like suddenly be- <laughs> Just destroy mustard. 
that's how evolution works, I think. <laughs> yep. Well, apparently the plants can now create 120 different glucosinolates. And I know I keep saying that long chemical word, but basically that it's a real arms race. Like the caterpillars should get guns or something. Like they, there's something that's got to come next, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we can't eat you, but we can shoot you. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, it. It's a very American way of thinking about this thing. Nobody wins. We've been getting boat raced for like basically an unimaginably long period of time. Maybe guns would help. Little tiny caterpillar guns, but they have like a they have like a dozen of them in all their like little hands. Yeah, they're little weird cilia, waving them around. That's how they get places. That's like an enemy in an earthworm gym game, right? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, but that's a pretty quick takeaway. It's also there's a quote here from food science writer Harold McGee, who defines mustard's pungency as, quote, neither a taste nor a smell, but a general feeling of irritation that verges on pain, end That's, quote. And yeah. I like that a lot, because mustard's almost more of a feeling than, like, a flavor, and it's because it comes from these, like, chemicals that are designed to fight caterpillars. That's a much better way of saying it than what I, which, I mean, it makes sense. That's Harold McGee's job. But that is a very yeah. astute way of describing the experience of it. And also why, like, the first times you have it as a kid, you're kind of, like, trying to keep a straight face and, like, <laughs> hold yourself down on it. Yeah. Yeah, it just kind of hits you. And you're like, this is food? But then later you decide it's food. Yeah. Uh, next take. That's a pretty quick one. The next takeaway here is a bunch of sports stuff. Takeaway number two. Mustard has even more to do with sports than you might think, especially in America. The first one here is that uh, the French's brand which we all know is like the yellow mustard in the U.S. And I think elsewhere too, but French's became the top U.S. mustard in a lot of ways by like dovetailing with hot dogs and baseball becoming popular at the turn of the century. It's also a thing where French's is the current top brand in the U.S. and it's number two is Grey Poupon and number three is Golden's. But French's is like the long time number one. I don't know if it's your, I, well, we were talking a little bit about it before. How do you feel about French as being number one? Is it too basic? Is it too lame? It's not surprising, but uh, that's what I, if I picture a bottle of yellow mustard, I think it's probably French's, right? Yeah. I mean, for what it is, I guess it's like the good kind of that type of mustard. It's not my favorite kind personally, but like I draw, I'm also like, I've become more generous about this, I guess, as I get older, the same way that like I draw a distinction between like Domino's and then like pizza. You know, that it's like, not that like, you know, Domino's isn't pizza. It's just like, it's a version of pizza that is like identifiably like for a different palate than like the pizza that you might like to have, or even the pizza that you get from like a pizzeria, just like a local place. And I guess like for French's to me is like entry level mustard, but that makes sense that it would be number one for that because it has the least of all of the, you know, the Harold McGee words that you used earlier (laughs) going on with it. Yeah. Yeah. And very by design. Yeah. And so the the history of these three brands, the oldest one is Golden's, which if people don't know, is like a spicy brown mustard. And it's the longest produced American mustard. It started in 1867, and they made it in Manhattan near the South Street Seaport. So just like mustard seeds show up on a ship and you start making mustard immediately kind of thing. Hell yeah. Sweet. Uh, so it's very, very old timey. I have some Golden's in my pantry right now, actually. Yeah. It's not my usual brand, but there was a sale. <laughs> I just want everybody to know the whole truth. That was going to if you didn't get out ahead of it <laughs> yeah right this is it this is like crisis pr 101 <laughs> once raw starts talking about mustard obviously all my the legions of haters start digging into it <laughs> my family needs time with our mustard right now uh if we can just yeah. please please respect our privacy 
And so for basically the rest of the 1800s, Golden's is the number one American mustard. Grey Poupon, on the other hand, doesn't really get into the U.S. until those commercials in the 1980s. It started in France in the 1800s, but there's a great old Malcolm Gladwell article in The New Yorker uh, that describes people trying to do a new ketchup. And along the way, he describes that in the early 70s, Grey Poupon in the U.S. was no more than a $100,000 a year business which is tiny for like a brand of anything. Yeah. How could they afford all the Rolls Royces? <laughs> Everything's rented. It's all, yeah. it's all for show. <laughs> they maxed out their credit cards. <laughs> They're like, oh, this better pay off or we're yeah. screwed. <laughs> and they did like, I know we're joking, but they took like a little bit of a leap. Apparently something called the Hoobline Company owns the Grey Poupon brand. And then they were just finding out that it kept winning blind taste tests. And so they gave like a little bit of money to a Manhattan ad agency named Low Marshalk, who put out the first, pardon me, would you have any Grey Poupon TV commercial in 1981. And in cities where the ads ran, sales of Grey Poupon leaped 40 to 50%. It just like completely turned it into a brand, one ad. That was all it took. It's incredible. An aspirational brand. That is an aspirational yeah. company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be some dumbass being there rich guy <laughs> like, yeah, just like, <laughs> like one of those like hideous 80s rich guys that like somehow didn't even eat well yeah. like like the trump diet dudes where yeah. everything you get is just like a big steak with like a lemon wrapped in cheesecloth and like a sprig of parsley and that's like the absolute apex just, you can't pay money for food that's better than that in the u.s until like 1995 just like being appalled by king ralph all the time it's like, <laughs> You know, like you're not even like the cool rich guy. You're the rich guy who's like, er, never. I'm like, <laughs> weird that that character's not like the villain in the commercial. Like, yeah. you never see that be like who you're supposed to be. That's true. Yeah, there's definitely two of them, and they're both. It's like whatever the <laughs> brothers from Trading Places. Yeah, <laughs> the idea of like. <laughs> <laughs> like watching it and being like, oh, well, those guys like it. They, they <laughs> Drops the racial slur in the ad. Yeah. Yep. It's like, man, these guys are financial monsters. But uh, I mean, they probably know what mustard is. So I'm going to just suck it up and buy it. They get results. <laughs> I, I remember someone pointing out, a friend of mine pointed out like, Grey Poupon hasn't really advertised since then. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like those ads were so effective at like establishing a brand that they just kind of were like, let's just like leave it. And they have just left it since then. There was never a time in like 2000, I, I could be wrong. I certainly don't remember any, but there was never like, yeah, yeah. meet the new Grey Poupon in like 2004 where they rebranded and it was like cartoonier, <laughs> you, you know, it's yeah. like same packaging, like no TV ads. They're just on shelves and that they've just coasted off that initial push. And the Wayne's World parody. I respect that. Me too. Very much. Yeah. And the idea of like not of like resisting that temptation to like spend some extra money and have like Dan Cortez eat it and like make some <laughs> 90s face into the camera or whatever. Like that's smart. <laughs> like eats it, turns black and white. There's like three of them. And then it's like, rah, 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 yeah. rah. Like, no. There's no, he, the great, great Poupon doesn't have a Twitter account where it's like talking about depression and stuff, you know, it's like. <laughs> Guys, I think, I think our next heist should be heisting ourselves into some kind of decision-making role at Great Poupon, because this sounds great. Uh, well, no, I, I would, I would want to keep account. it. I'd be like, I'd want to get in charge and then be like, don't do any of this stuff. Keep, 
just coast off those 80s ads. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is the stuff that, like, when a marketing company, like, lands a new client, they're like, we have to do all this new stuff so we can prove we, like, juice the sales. And, like, they just have not yeah. needed to do that for whatever reason. I appreciate Imagine it. Imagine the... The ideas that they've been brought by oh, people God. over the years of people been like, all right, so you know these two old guys, like, they've obviously died. I mean, just considering how old they were in the <laughs> 80s. Ads. So these are their kids. And their kids are into extreme flavors and into, like, just, like, awesome flavor blasting <laughs> of all the food that they have. Their names are Kyle and Lyle. Two, two cars will drive up, but it'll be Dodge Neons, and it'll be Dave Coulier and Butnick from Salute Your Shorts, and it'll run during the Super Bowl, and everyone's going to talk about it, because it'll be like, oh, Butnick's back. But we'll leak it, like, four weeks before the Super Bowl, so everyone talks about it. And you're like, what, I, we, not, we don't need any of this. Oh, man. <laughs> and it is that iconic of a commercial. Like, it built this entire it built their brand and kind of the idea of eating Dijon in the U.S. Because until then, we had yellow mustard and we had spicy brown mustard before that. And that was it. Because the French's company, they were founded uh, and were drawn on an article from the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle, which is the main newspaper in Rochester, New York. Because the RT French company was founded in Rochester in 1880. And mustard was one of their first products, but it was like the spicy brown kind. They weren't doing what they do now right away. They were also making prepared food mixes, household supplies, and pet foods. Like just anything they could think of as a company, they were making it. And then from there, in the early 1900s, Francis French, who was the son of Robert Timothy French, uh, he asked the team there, he said, hey, come up with a more appealing version of mustard, because maybe there's a way. And a spice mill manager named George Dunn developed a smooth and bright yellow mustard that they branded as French's cream salad brand mustard. Because you were partly supposed to like use it to make salad dressings uh, or cream things. Um, but then they premiered it at the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis. They served it on hot dogs. And that dovetailed really well with hot dogs being a thing and 1904 is like kind of you know beginning of modern baseball right around there uh and so they were kind of in the right place at the right time with a very uh fun approachable mustard that was what it took awesome i love world world's fair yeah. world's fairs and world's fair history like can immediately picture that yeah yeah, it's definitely, I sort of, I'm sure that being alive in 1904 absolutely sucked ass, and I don't want to be <laughs> in any way nostalgic for something that I would not want to experience myself, but there is something cool about the idea of, like, history moving forward in increments related to world's fairs. Mm -hmm. That was the, the period yeah. for it, right? It's like a 20 or 30 year period where it's like, yeah, meet the vacuumed cleaner like that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah. and it's just great and it's on like a rotating futuristic thing that's also like ancient roman looking it's like yeah, yeah. it's great i love it when ours growing up in chicago our 1890s one i was like what's it famous for and they were like well the city had just burned down and then during the fair there were a bunch of murders and i was like oh we we didn't get a good one huh okay well that's tough no that's tough <laughs> anything good get introduced there and they're like well spree killing <laughs> yeah <laughs> the crime of the future <laughs> behold <laughs> <laughs> One man can can kill dozens of men. <laughs> it's like housewife in an apron just stabbing like so much easier. 
<laughs> all these people that got got on a buggy in Indiana like three days earlier, being like, "That is incredible! <laughs> Look at that! Is that's awful." <laughs> they also they got it like we're talking about the World's Fair as being important, and they really were important at the time. And off of this World's Fair, within five years, French's mustard sales doubled. And then from there, they were so associated with baseball that in 1915, they introduced the pennant logo that we know now. And it was explicitly a reference to like pennants at baseball stadiums and the style of baseball stadiums. Of course. Uh, And so like as the mass culture of that grew, one of the parts was this is mustard now. Like it's not this old spicy brown thing. It's French's. Hiding in plain sight makes total sense. I haven't. I never like made yep. that connection, but it's so obvious. Well, and then there's two other real fast sports things here. One of them is that also because of baseball, America is home to the world's largest mustard museum. The National Mustard Museum is in Middleton, Wisconsin, which is a suburb of Madison. Uh, it has over 60,000 types of mustard as of 2019, receives 35,000 visitors per year in normal times, and it was founded by... A lawyer in in Wisconsin there, he's told people he specifically spent time organizing a mustard museum and putting it together to get over depression caused by his beloved Boston Red Sox losing the 1986 World Series to the New York Mets. So he poured his time into a mustard museum to get over it. There's like a, I'm trying to like who would write the novel that that would be about like it's a little too like picaresque for richard ford <laughs> but there's that's definitely like got a like 80s 90s uh like male literary vibe to it i like it though that's a very pleasing story arc and now the red Sox are good and the mets are bad i hope he's happy i i was yeah. thinking like 2000 <laughs> i was thinking like 2006 like twee indie movie like little miss sunshine type thing where it's like oh he runs a mustard museum and it's like all like (laughs) cutesy kind of thing like michelle gondry type stuff can we can we greg kinnear slowly revealing that he's actually not as happy as he seems yeah Yeah. (laughs) why would i not be happy i love mustard i have 700 types of mustard (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like then like michelle monahan or somebody is like i think that this house is actually empty for all the mustard you have in it because it has no love or whatever and then alan arkin comes downstairs and is like why are you yelling and that's the whole anyway it's embarrassing no 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 i mean it is alan arkin in the movie i just mean the yeah, voice I know. the voice i just sure missed an like opportunity to i missed an opportunity to do an elliot gould yeah. voice that's the embarrassing part <laughs> All right, off of that, we're going to a short break, followed by the big takeaways. See you in a sec. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
it's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah. Um, bad jokes. Bad jokes. Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're gonna interview them, and then you just stay there like, like really quiet and try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. And there's one one final sports thing, which is that. And I, I didn't know this until I saw a weird hockey thing last year. But it turns out mustard is kind of a sports drink. Like, and this isn't just an American thing. Like, you can consume straight up mustard to beat cramps and to prevent cramps in yourself. What? It's an anti-inflammatory. Is that the or something like that? Yeah, it's it's like sense. a and the mustard a global history book dives into how. It might be physical or it might be neurological, but one of the two, mustard, is helpful. Because cramps, if they're caused physically, they're caused by dehydration or by not having enough acetic acid. Uh, And mustard contains acetic acid, has sodium as an electrolyte, and then also turmeric is anti-inflammatory. So all that helps prevent cramps. And so occasionally you see runners or other athletes consuming like a packet of mustard straight up and then continuing with what they're doing. And it's because mustard is some kind of uh, like cramp fighting substance wow. because of its chemistry. I've, I've never seen that. Never knew that. Yeah, that wouldn't be the grossest thing that I've seen a runner like just like a, a packet that I've watched somebody running blast down their throat during a marathon. <laughs> like if it was mustard, I'd be like, all right, well, it's, at least I get that. Like they're just you're taking it, you know, whatever the other stuff that like power applesauce that you're eating like that doesn't sound really nearly <laughs> as legitimate. Because if people want to see it in the show links, uh, there's a video from the NHL, September of 2019. The video is titled, Mark Letestu chows down on mustard in third period. And, <laughs> and the caption is just, with the third period underway in Winnipeg, Mark Letestu of the Jets procures a packet of mustard on the bench and quickly scarfs it down, exclamation point. But like on YouTube, half the comments are people just laughing about it. And then the other half are people just trying are like, it helps with muscle cramps. Cut it out. Like, stop it. Like, stop. <laughs> stop making fun. Because uh, I, I guess it does. Like, he just knows this thing and, and other athletes do, too. It sounds like a hazing thing for like a rookie player. Like, yeah, we all uh, <laughs> we just scarf yeah. down mustard on the bench. Here you go, Rook. Like, you first. And then they <laughs> do it and it becomes a viral video. You like it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This all fits, though, because mustard is one of those, like, the greens are one of those things where you see, I don't know if uh, you guys are, are big green market guys, but there's a certain type of, of green market experience you can get where, like, there's a stand that has produce, and then, like, instead of this just saying what this is and how much it costs, there'll be, like, one super dubious paragraph about all of the health benefits that it affords you if you eat it. And I feel like mustard is one that's always, like, this is, like, nothing is better for your liver than eating this. Or whatever, and you just have to be like, all right, I don't know. Like, I assume you grew it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know any of that. I was wondering if it was yeah. going to be one of those like, remember all those like 2008 like internet articles that were like, if you get cut, put bacon on it, and it like stops the bleeding, and you're like, yeah, mm, no one's going to do that. But right. apparently, people do do this with mustard. So yeah, like Gatorade yeah. exists and stuff, but guys are using mustard. I don't know. It's just what they're up to. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, it gets you, it gets you direct. It's like the, uh, you know, you don't have to wait for your body to process the liquids when you've got 
the kind of a uh, spicy slurry um beef <laughs> yes <laughs> if you just like ate a packet of mustard maybe that would just be like whoa kind of snap you out of it type thing that's what like the 90s ads for grape poupon would have been like that bit that you just did right there <laughs> There would have been like a whoosh, like sound effect, and you would have been like, "Wah!" <laughs> Loaded with pow. Creepy pie. Snort the rush. <laughs> yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Like teacher, like blah, 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 blah. It's like all gray. <laughs> From like 18 inches away, like squirting it down into their mouth. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Someone's <laughs> leaning over you like, yeah, that's like whatever, whoever that would be. I don't know. Pick a wrestler. Sting is doing it for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. And the activity they're doing is like human bowling or something. Yeah. They're like, they're like and then they like run and go in a bunch of huge bowling pins. You're like, <laughs> and uh, we have one last takeaway before the bonus episode. Let's get into it. Takeaway number three. A surprising number of world religions and cultures feature a story based on mustard. We'll go through them real fast because there are six different traditions here that all feature a a mustard story. I think I had heard of like the parable of the mustard seed in Christianity, but yeah. that was the only one I knew going into researching it. Same, and I'm not Christian, so I'm, I'm going to learn a lot from this other stuff. This will be interesting. In Christianity, there is, uh, in the Gospels, in the parable of the mustard seed, there's a story where uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and according to Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 31, 32, he says, quote, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches, end quote. And it's mostly based on the metaphor of mustard seeds are so incredibly tiny. And then I sent you guys some pictures of like, what especially the black mustard species mm-hmm. can grow into. It looks like an enormous bush. Uh, so then it became a biblical metaphor. It's something people talk about. Cool. That's that's scientifically true also, right? Basically. Yeah. There's like, there's some little internet articles that will say, actually, an orchid has a smaller seed, but the point <laughs> is the metaphor. And yes, like it's it's a very, very tiny seed. And then you, you don't get an actual full-on tree, but you get a very, very large plant. Yeah. Does the gospel <laughs> include that? It's like actually, da da da. It's like shut up, dude. Yeah. That's just good religion. You have to you have to be willing to acknowledge every caveat at excruciating length. <laughs> and the Lamb of God replied, "You know what I mean." Like, <laughs> <come> <laughs> <on>. <laughs> Especially the tininess of the seed ends up becoming a thing in a lot of other traditions. Uh, the Book of Mustard: A Global History talks about how in some Jewish texts, apparently the universe is compared to a mustard seed to demonstrate that all that exists now was packed into the tiniest imaginable speck of space at the universe's beginning. The 1200s Jewish scholar Namanides said that, quote, at the briefest instant following creation, all the matter of the universe was concentrated in a very small place, no larger than a grain of mustard, end quote. I think, I don't know if that's scriptural, that might be more of a, a, a thinker and philosopher, but... Uh, apparently it comes up there too. He was, but he was an important one. So that is, I, you know, also that sounds kind of big bangish or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's very advanced. Yeah. That's a uh, surprisingly apt for a very old assessment. Yeah. Good job, dude. Yeah. I'm interested in the ones from the religions that I'm not remotely familiar with though. Like hit me with, uh, give me some, some different ones. 
Yeah. Well, the uh, the rest we have are Islam and Buddhism and Greek mythology, and then the Nepalese Tharu culture. God, Nepal. So there's a lot of places to go. Don't <laughs> you marry mustard? Can you give us one of the other ones? Apparently in the Quran, there's a passage that says, quote, None shall enter the fire of hell who has in his heart the weight of a mustard seed of faith. And none shall enter paradise who has in his heart the weight of a mustard seed of pride. Uh, end quote. Just kind of a nice verse. Yeah, kind know. of a... If you have faith, you will go somewhere nice. And, and if you have pride, you won't. Kind of the, like, it's positive. the go-to, like, smallest, lightest thing imaginable of the era, right? It's like... Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, the tininess of the seed. People are like, what metaphors yeah. can I do? Yep. What can I... It's like not just a grain of rice. Yeah. That's like tack, That's like hacky. Yeah. Or like, yeah. Or like a light as a feather or something <laughs> like that. It's like mustard seed. It's like, cool. Like, oh, well, that's good. We can probably massage the language, but I get what you're saying about getting into paradise yeah. and all. <laughs> <laughs> but I just need something zippier. I need something zippier than rice. <laughs> Let's go around the room. <laughs> 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 And they keep eating huge Dodger dogs until they think of it. Like, oh. <laughs> a huge glob of mustard fall, falls falls on the, on like the parchment. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. We've come up with so many 1995 commercials for mustard just in the last few minutes. I, th- I think we found our greatest skill here. Yeah, that, that feels good. Yep. Traveling back in time and pitching incredibly <laughs> dated ads. Yeah. For products that were doing fine. They're like, we're doing fine. Yep. We're, we're selling plenty of mustard. I'm like, but you could do this. Yep. <laughs> Barging into a conference room with like a plan to make Starburst racist for some reason. <laughs> but like. <laughs> uh, well, that's uh, uh, no segue necessary. A Buddhist parable. Um, this is uh, the story of Kiza Gotami and the mustard seed. And it's a story where Kiza Gotami was the wife of a rich man, uh, and she felt sorrow after her only child died. And so she was taken to the Buddha. And then the Buddha told her, quote, he could bring back her child if she could get a white mustard seed from a family which has had no death. After searching house after house, Kisa Gotami saw that every house had mustard seed, but no house was spared from death. End quote. And then she learns that death is, is a fact of life and, and is, uh, accepts the loss. And that's a parable in uh, the tradition there. It's a good takeaway. But for a little, for a second, I was like, what is, why is he doing this? Like, yeah. it sounded it's a very, little like double dare. <laughs> it's also kind of nicely Old Testament-y in the sense that like it doesn't resolve in a way that is like favorable for you. It's just yeah. like a way, a way to teach you something sad. But they're mm-hmm. like, well, give them a, some, do, have a, do a bit of business before they learn this obvious sad thing. Yeah, I was, I was also slightly apprehensive of bringing, uh, you know, like serious stories into a, a silly podcast. But I don't know. I'm amazed that mustard is in so many of these things. So that's why we're exploring them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. me too. <laughs> and also this, uh, there's two more here. One is Greek mythology. Uh, this is a story where uh, it's like, oh, early... man, someone's, someone's going to f- the mustard. Nice. Oh, whoops. I, I, for, I forgot. I can't say it's that. It's all right. <laughs> it was the correct word. You're fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so this is this is like the early, early part of Greek mythology where there are titans and then you like work to the gods later. Ooh. And so the titan Kronos eats all of his children because he believes that one of them will overthrow him. You don't um, need to say why he did it. <laughs> <laughs> He had a good reason, Dave. I'm sure. It's a titan. 
<laughs> and so he has eaten five children, and then his son Zeus is born. Uh, so Zeus's mom hides Zeus so he can't find him. And then Zeus figures out, I can make my father Kronos throw up. And if I do that, all my siblings will pop out of him. And so Zeus feeds him an emetic drink that is mustard with salt and honey. Uh, and that's based on mustard actually working as a vomit-inducing substance if you use it that way in real life. So mustard is a key Greek mythology thing. As central to it as barfing and uh, the, and sex. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm never totally clear on the powers of like Greek gods and, and titans and stuff because it's like they have the power to like eat and swallow all of their children yeah. and they can create the earth and whatnot. But like they can't like not throw up from a drink. That's what's so good about it is that they <laughs> they control everything. They like have unlimited power except for like they can be pranked and are pranked yeah. constantly. <laughs> yeah, a lot of dumb contests like, and stuff. They're they're just yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I married the seas to the skies. Like now to celebrate with a little drink. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> This isn't sitting right. Oh, man. <laughs> like, just like, Yeah, they're the best. Uh, the last one here, we, we return to Nepal. There's the Tharu culture in Nepal. They have a practice where women receive tattoos made from a mixture of mustard oil and cow dung uh, that's stabbed into them with a thorn from a tree. And then the mustard oil is naturally antiseptic. So it's a pretty healthy way to get a tattoo with, with old-fashioned things. And quote, Tharu believe that when they die, they cannot take anything with them but their tattoos. On the way to heaven, if one finds hardships, one can sell the tattoos and therefore make the journey to heaven more comfortable. End quote. So there's a culture in Nepal where people are receiving like mustard tattoos uh, for the afterlife. Whole thing. It is, it is like genuinely interesting how many of these revolve around the like known physical scientific properties of mustard, right? Yeah. Like they're not, yeah. it's not like totally magical or totally metaphorical. It's like stuff that mustard measurably does even in like parables. Cool. Yeah. I had a similar thought and it's just something kind of weird about it because I, everything that works in the world now feels like a mistake or an accident somehow, <laughs> you know, that there's just like a sense in which like, like, I don't know how people that are as dumb as people are now built bridges. Or, like, let alone, you know, figured out medicine or, like, the Large Hadron Collider or whatever. Like, that just seems completely beyond humanity. And yet, like, clearly, you know, there it, this stuff was not an accident. People did observe things and come up with, you know, totally ingenious sort of solutions to problems that have existed forever. I don't know why they stopped. I think that would be a thing to pick back up to the extent that we could manage that. <laughs> yeah. Like people being good at things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, I think that would definitely be, like, a cool thing to, like, turn that back on. Mm. Like, however, that was, like, switched off. And they were like, now you're only good at, like, inventing an app that, like, makes somebody come to your house and do your laundry for you. And loses $4 billion a month. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. Can we, make, can we make that happen, Alex? Oh. <laughs> yeah, human success. We're bringing it back, folks. We're bringing it back. Is what I would say at the rally. You do it. You know. hear that so much. Yep. <laughs> Man, I hope I hope humanity listens to the end through the end of this podcast. <laughs> Just yeah. 
there was some rocky parts in there. I'm worried that they got turned off by some of the profanity that was used, even if it was beef. <laughs> they were, but I feel like this this takeaway is very important. This is they were about discussion. to save humanity until they heard my Elliot Gould impression, and they just, <laughs> everyone logged off. I'm like, no. <laughs> Folks, that is the main episode for this week. My thanks to Dan Hopper and David Roth for diving deep into that topic and into advertisement ideas I wish the world contained. Also, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com. Patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic is probably the darkest bonus topic I have ever chosen. It also leads to a positive result for the world at the end of the story. So you will hear us grapple with the darkness of it. You will hear us be thrilled that it turns out to have a silver lining. So visit sifpod.fun. You can get that bonus show. You can get a dozen other bonus shows from the entire run of this podcast, and you can back this entire podcast operation. And thank you for exploring mustard with us. Here's one more run through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, mustard gets its flavor from 90 million years of warfare against caterpillars. Takeaway number two, mustard has even more to do with sports than you would think. And takeaway number three, a surprising number of world religions and cultures feature a key story or parable based on mustard. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow my guests. Dan Hopper is a managing editor at Ranker.com, R-A-N-K-E-R. Please check out his work there. Check him out on Twitter at Dan Hopp, H-O-P-P. And then David Roth is at Defector.com, also co-hosting the Distraction podcast for Defector. And it, it is audience-supported media that ought to exist, and I hope you'll check it out. Please support it. Many research sources this week. Here are some key ones. A hugely important book for this episode, it is called Mustard, A Global History by Demet Guzay, who's a food writer and food historian. The book was published in 2019. It's part of what's called the Edible series. They do deep dives on all kinds of different items, but particularly big thanks to writer Demet Guzay for her book Mustard, A Global History. Another key source is an article from Smithsonian. It's called Mustard is a Product of Evolutionary Warfare Between Plants and Caterpillars. as by Helen Thompson in 2015. And a great article from the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle, the newspaper of Rochester, New York. That article is called French's Started Right Here in Rochester. It's by Alan Morell. Find those and more sources in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken Unshaven by The Budos Band. Their newest album is called Long in the Tooth. It's excellent, and it's available at daptonerecords.com. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. See more of Bert's art on Instagram, at Bert Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Extra, extra special thanks go to our patrons, and, and now more than ever, because we just finished the mini-membership drive for this show. It's a thing I came up with to do a fun version of our first Patreon goal, where everybody supporting the show gets to have a sticker and a thank you card from me sent to them. 
So many of you stepped up. We we met that goal and beat it two days ahead of schedule, ahead of time, and then everybody else after that got to join in on the fun too. So uh, so I'm talking to many new patrons right now, and I want to extra special just thank you for helping make this show a thing that exists and uh, bringing this kind of thing to everyone we possibly can. And of course, uh, for you new patrons especially, I hope you enjoy now more than a dozen bonus shows, including the one this week, but all kinds of bonus shows for you. And thank you to all our listeners. I'm thrilled to say we will be back next week with more Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then.